Good evening and thank you for joining us. It's Tuesday and if it's a Tuesday you know what that means. It's time for Change Matters Solutions and this is a special edition of Change Matters Solutions with the kickoff of 30 days of Juneteenth. We do this each and every Tuesday here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network at 7 o'clock here in Big D, Dallas, Tejas. It is 8 o'clock on the East Coast and it's 5 o'clock on the West Coast. And if you're in the mountain time zone, hey, you do the math. We've got another great show lined up for you. So stick and stay and don't go away. And remember, tell a neighbor, tell a friend about the Change Matters movement. I'm your host, Kenny Hendricks. And I am your host, Colette Williams. And thank you for joining us right here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network. And it is time for Change Matters. And folks, bear with us. We have got some things going on here with technology. And as you know, Kenny Hendricks says, I'm not a technological technological person. This stuff is crazy. Well, there are storms across the Midwest and the South. And this is what you get during the storms. All kinds of craziness going on. So, folks, bear with us. As Kenny Hendricks said, we've got a great show for you this afternoon. This is the kickoff of 30 Days of Juneteenth, and we've got lots to talk about. If you're not familiar with what Juneteenth is all about, you're going to get an earful, an eyeful, a bellyful of information this evening about Juneteenth. And we want to talk about Juneteenth. We need to know the history of Juneteenth and why it is so important and why we should be celebrating Juneteenth and not the 4th of July because the 4th of July don't have nothing to do with us. Juneteenth is where we come in. The Emancipation Proclamation. Juneteenth. And that's what we're here to talk about. So Kenny, take it away. And yes, yes, thank you very much. Yeah, we are having some storms coming through the Texas area. I've got the radar up on my television right now. One cell just passed us and another one is coming through. So I may have some issues here. As a matter of fact, um, I just got a message saying my internet connection is unstable. So that's the connection unstable. Not me. I'm pretty stable, you know, so, <laughs> as it were. Although some people might disagree with, with that. Again, thanks again for joining us. We do this each and every Tuesday. And this is going to be uh, especially special for us here, Juneteenth. Um, a lot of people are not familiar with Juneteenth. And again, as Colette said, we are going to give people uh, the Reader's Digest version of what's going on. And we've got some special people that are going to be talking to us and talking to us about Juneteenth and what's going on, what all the celebrations are, um, and what it means and what is the background behind uh, Juneteenth. And we're also going to be talking a bit about uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, 1921, the Tulsa race riots in Greenwood area, uh, the Black Wall Street. So we'll be touching on those, those subjects as well. So stick and stay, as I say, stick and stay. Don't go away. Tell people to tune in. We've got a lot of information. You got a lot of information that we're going to be getting out there. So we will get that out there to you. Colette? Absolutely. Stick and stay. Don't go away. I like to say that, you know, man. Stick and stay. Don't go away. But as Kenny Hendricks said, we've got a lot of information that we're going to disseminate this afternoon. We're going to dispel some myths. We also have someone on this show who will also be with us tomorrow, who's going to be telling us or talking to us about some of the myth, some of the things that we thought were, uh, uh, I guess, relevant. But he's going to dispel some of those myths. He's got a book out called Juneteenth 101. Juneteenth 101. And his name is Donald Cox. He's going to be with us tomorrow, but he is on the show today. He wants to hear about all of the things that we've got to talk about now. Today's guests, 
Sylvia Holmes Myers, who is the wife of Dr. Reverend Dr. Ronald Myers. And uh, Dr. Myers is the father who actually started this movement to bring Juneteenth to this country as a national holiday. Dr. Reverend Dr. Ronald Myers. As a matter of fact, she sent to me his information. I couldn't keep reading. Must be eight pages or more of information about Dr. Myers. And I looked at it and I went, he's, in order for, he'd have to be 200 years old. He's got accomplishments on here that are just incredible. Just absolutely incredible. So we've got a great show. We've got tons of people on here right now who are with us to talk about Juneteenth. If you don't know anything about Allensworth, you're going to hear about it on the show. If you don't know anything about the Tulsa massacre that took place in 1921, you're going to hear about it on the show. If you don't know anything about uh, uh, Prince George's County, you're going to hear about that. And there's so many things that you'll get on this show today. Our historian, Belinda Williams, she's got tons of things to talk to us about. And it's really, really quite intriguing to get all of this information. And the best part about it, we're able to do it right here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network on Change Matters. That's because it does. And that's because we want you to get this information. We want you to be informed. We want you to know what's going on. So we can we can talk about the, the preliminary part all day, but we're not going to do that. We're going to get to what the show is all about. And our first guest for this afternoon is Sylvia Holmes Myers. Sylvia Myers, are you with us? You can unmute. Yes. And, great. And I was going to sing the song for you. Unmute. Unmute. Because <laughs> uh, you know that's a song. Because you know, every time we go to a Zoom, somebody's saying, unmute, you got to unmute. So we've created a song, unmute, 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 but you've already unmuted, which is wonderful. So Sylvia, if you don't mind me calling you Sylvia. Sure, that's, that's, that's fine. Sylvia is great. Well, I am so glad that you're with us. When I met you and Dr. James Tucker, I was so intrigued by the information that you shared. Both of you are board members for the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, which your husband was the founder of, correct? That is correct. So it is a pleasure for us to hear from you. And Dr. Tucker is on also, who is a member of the NJOF, National Juneteenth Observance Organization. So it is really a pleasure to have everyone on this show who's going to talk about that. And you also have other board members from the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation who are also going to talk about what the organization is about, why it's important that there is a national holiday. Not, And this is not simply about... uh, uh, barbecue and a, and a trash can barbecue pit and, a, and some red soda water and some chicharrones and all of those things. We're going to be talking about why it's important to bring this and the length of time that your husband put into this, the time that he put into it, bringing this to the forefront. 
and making this possible. So Sylvia, hold tight. I'm going to introduce Dr. James Tucker. He's with us right now. Dr. Tucker. Good afternoon. How are you doing, sister? Oh, I'm real good, real good. And it's a pleasure to see you and have you with us this afternoon. And as you can tell, we're excited to have you and the rest of your board members with us this afternoon. We're going to talk about the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, what your journey is about, what you're doing, why you're doing it, where you're doing it. Are you doing this all over the country? Are you doing this in certain parts of the country? We've got a lot to talk about. So, uh, Sylvia, let's get started with you. Sylvia Holmes, her husband, Reverend Dr. Ronald Myers, was the founder of the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation. Sylvia, give us a little background on the organization and what your husband was thinking, the late, great Dr. Myers. <laughs> well, well, first of all, I would like to say thank you for having me on the show tonight. Um, but yes, Dr. Myers, as um, uh, um, he is the father of the modern day Juneteenth movement. Um, Dr. Myers celebrated Juneteenth when he was a child uh, back in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, he would go to Oklahoma to visit his uh, grandparents. Both of his parents were from um, Arkansas. And um, his his grandmother lived in um, Oklahoma. And of course, uh, he would go to Oklahoma and they would celebrate Juneteenth. And as he was growing up in Milwaukee, he celebrated uh, Juneteenth there. And it was here in Bogalusa, Louisiana. It was where I met Doc. <laughs> um, okay. He did, um, um, he had moved to town and he joined um, Ebenezer. Uh, Baptist Church at that time as as an associate pastor. He was made associate pastor um, during that time, but um, it was in 84 when he had the first Juneteenth celebration in Bogalusa, and um, uh, my pastor was telling him, if anybody can, you know, help you get things done here in Bogalusa, it was Sylvia Holmes, and, and we met, but... <laughs> That was not the begin. It was it, it was the beginning of our long relationship, but not the beginning at that time. Um, so he did have a Juneteenth celebration here in uh, Bogalus that was very successful. Um, and then uh, a few years later, he was in, um, in New Orleans at a convention. I want to say it was the IAJE. Um, which is the International Jazz Educators um, in New Orleans. And he met several people and he was talking about Juneteenth because no matter where he went, he was always talking about Juneteenth. Um, and it was from there um, he met um, um, John Mosley and uh, a few other people. And then um, um, uh, uh, he was told about uh uh, Lula Briggs Galloway, who was the uh, chairman, I believe, and founder of National Juneteenth Lineage in, uh, uh, I want to say that was Flint, um, Michigan. Um, well, he was on her advisory board at one point, and he saw the vision to where he wanted to bring um, all their 
people who celebrated Juneteenth together as a whole and to nationalize it because he felt that that was something that America should be celebrating as a whole, like we celebrate the 4th of July. Um, Of course, he got a lot of flack. Um, Everybody was not on board in celebrating Juneteenth because um, some of us, and I say us, um, felt that, uh, you know, we have evolved from that slavery mess um, and we should leave that stuff alone because we have arrived. Um, but of course, um, if we don't know from whence we came, we are doomed to uh, fall back in certain circumstances. And that was one of the things about Juneteenth, um, uh, Dr did with people and that was to educate them about their history and from whence we came, um, how our people brought over in the belly of slave ships. Um, um, He's visited, what is it, uh, Port Comfort on several different times. He's worked with um, um, Mr. Pearson with Project 1619 and several other people, but His whole focus was to, um, one, have America to recognize that slavery was wrong and that we need to heal um, as a nation from the legacy of slavery. Um, Two, that our history was not all about doom and gloom and slavery. We did some important things here in the United States of America. We built the Alcan Highway. Uh, Blacks fought and died in the Civil War Mm -hmm. on the Confederate side as well as on um, the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, And those things aren't being told and haven't been told. And those were some of the things that he tried to bring about. And along the way, not only was it about educating our people and educating not just our people, but America. America. And it was to legislate and to bring about Juneteenth to be a day of observance, like Flag Day, because the 4th of July freed the land. Uh, 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 the, the Emancipation Proclamation or June 19th, it freed the people. And the two together makes America history of freedom complete. Um, um, and one of the other things that he was big on is um, Frederick Douglass' um, 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 uh, 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 book that he wrote or poem, a uh, paper that he wrote what to the uh, slave is the 4th of July. Um, that was another thing that he tried to educate um, or, or not tried to, but he did educate people um, uh, here in America about the 4th of July because we did celebrate and we do celebrate the 4th of July and we just didn't do anything around Juneteenth. And he was just always felt that the two should be celebrated as equally um, as the other. Right. Uh, and before uh, his death, um, he was able to get over 46 states to uh, recognize Juneteenth either as a, um, a day of observance or a state holiday. So he mm-hmm. worked diligently for all those years um, um, uh, bringing Juneteenth to the forefront 
of the American people. And here we are today. Um, last year, um, my children, they, they called me up. Well, 2019 and 2020, they, they called me up and, and they were crying because so many people uh, knew about Juneteenth and were talking about Juneteenth and they were talking about it in a positive light. Even on um, <laughs> CNN news, it wasn't about a fight that broke out at a Juneteenth celebration, but it was positive information. And they was just so elated to uh, know that their father's work isn't in vain and hasn't gone in vain. That's w- absolutely wonderful. Dr. Tucker. How you doing, sister? We're, I'm real good. I'm real good. Thank you for joining us. And I'd like to know from your perspective, what we do from here, where we go from here. As I mentioned earlier, we've got uh, several people on who are from the foundation. We also have someone from Dallas who has written a book called Juneteenth 101. And the book talks about how Texas, I believe, was passed over. What about Texas? So there are lots of there's lots of information that the black community one isn't getting. The black community knows that Juneteenth is a day of celebration, but do they actually know why? Do they know about the real Emancipation Proclamation? Do you know how it all began? Do people really get this? And one of the things that we talk about frequently on this broadcast is that our history is not being taught. We cannot expect the other folks to teach our history. We have to change our narrative. It is up to us to change our narrative. Whether they created our narrative or not, we have to change it. It's our time. So Dr. Tucker, why don't you pick it up from there and tell us about your involvement with NJOF, where this is going, what we can do, what we can expect, and how everybody can get involved. First of all, Sister Weeb, I'd like to thank you for hosting this program because, as you mentioned, our history is very important. Yes. Too many individuals who are trying to steal our history and they want to get lost and uh, just get lost so people won't know who we are. So what you're doing is very, very important. And I look forward to meeting the other individuals who are part of your association. But I think it's important to focus on Dr. Ron Myers. I've been involved for 30 years, 30 years of history, 30 years of documentation, 30 years of working directly with Dr. Ron Myers at Ferris on the, on the board for many years. And of course, it's important to understand that we must tell the facts about who Dr. Myers were, uh, who he was. And I think the number one thing as a result of what happened last year, when all the cities and states recognized Juneteenth as a national holiday, Individuals try to take credit for that. But Dr. Ron Myers initiated the Juneteenth petition. And you got individuals out there who are trying to steal it and take credit for it. But if you go back to the records and look at the history, Dr. Myers initiated the Juneteenth petition. He was in touch with people in all 50 states to sign that petition, make Juneteenth a national holiday. That's a fact. So uh, hopefully, you know, people understand that Dr. Ron Myers is the father of Juneteenth and initiated the petition. The other thing is, uh, Dr. Myers and Sister Sidney Myers also established a Juneteenth store. And uh, during the next 30 days, I, I pray and hope that you will promote that store where you can buy Juneteenth products. Uh, it's important that you get our email address and also phone number. And we support the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation. That's so important. Dr. Myers also initiated the 
Juneteenth flag raising ceremony where in the, at the beginning of the month or actually I, we always did ours on Juneteenth, the day of Juneteenth, and we raised the flag in front of City Hall. So the Juneteenth flag raising ceremony is a part of Dr. Ron Myers' history where he actually made that a part of history. It's so important to remember that. It's also important to remember that Dr. Ron Myers and Sister Myers said, and I reinforced what she said, he nationalized Juneteenth. And you might want to say, how did he nationalize Juneteenth? He nationalized Juneteenth by connecting with all the brothers and sisters throughout the United States of America. He networked, he, he created a strong network. He connected with them. He talked to them. He visited the different states. He was there, uh, p- participated in the jazz, uh, events and, and, uh, Juneteenth, uh, events. Although he was a medical doctor, he found time to do that. So those are important facts that I think it's important for all Juneteenth support, conscious Juneteenth people to know. In addition to that, uh, uh, he made many, many sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And I want to just add this because it's so important. Dr. Myers is responsible for 47 states recognizing Juneteenth as a national holiday or day of observance. Dr. Myers did not believe that these racist white people would ever have a paid holiday. So he advocated we'll do it on the third Saturday. When, every, when all the people are off from work, so we established third Saturday as Juneteenth. And that is how he promoted Juneteenth. And that's mm-hmm. why we, how we were able to get a lot of legislators to make a uh, recognize Juneteenth because uh, he knew that many of, many of the state legislators did not respect us enough to want to pay us for a day off. And as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Ma was a, he was a great communicator. He connected the various Juneteenth organizations around the country. He worked with them to organize Juneteenth. He uh, he he did every he had a Juneteenth song he sent uh, around to the uh, various organizations, a videotape, and of course uh, that was also played at the uh, Juneteenth events. And it's also important to understand that the real and legal NJOF consists of individuals who have. I would say have been involved in Juneteenth for 25 or 30 more years. I know I've been involved 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, he froze. And with not for okay. Dr. Ron Myers, important to understand the commitment that he made and the sacrifice he made for us to be where we are today. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, and I, I got a video where, you know, he, he used to invite, he, he where we went in various cities, he, he would invite legislators and, and Congress people and things like that come to events. I have a video of Latin, it, on the 150th anniversary where we were in Gaffeson, Texas. He invited all those individuals to come out and participate. And people like Sheila D. Jackson and some of the rest of them uh, who were uh, call themselves supporting Juneteenth. I had a video today. And I can assure you, Dr. Myers showed up and they were nowhere to be found. But yet today, many of them are trying to take credit for what Dr. Ron Myers did. And that is wrong, wrong, wrong. So that's why I appreciate you, Sister Williams, for having this program so we can tell the story because too many people do not know the story. And I was there and I have documentation support that everything that Dr. Meyer did. And of course, uh, I, I cannot, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for what you're doing, because if we don't tell our story, it will get lost. It will get lost and also get stolen by someone else and it will absolutely. not be told properly. That's right. That's mm-hmm. absolutely right. And one of the things that we, wanted to make clear when we began this broadcast is that our narrative has been told by so many others. And we have for too many years taken a back seat saying, 
that ain't what we did. That ain't right. How come nobody saying they're not talking about our history? How come they don't teach it? We need to teach our history. We need to teach our history. We don't need to leave it to someone else to change our history or to teach our history. Our narrative should come from us. Our narrative should come from people who actually lived it, who were there, who can tell the story from beginning to end, who can tell our history, not just a story, but a real life accounting of the experiences of the real life situations of things that actually took place. Because when we leave it to someone else to tell our story or tell our narrative or create the narrative for us, we always have to take a a step back and go, where did that come from? That's not us. And that's what's happening now. We have a narrative that quite a few of us don't want to claim because it's not our narrative. It's not where the black community came from and it's not where we're going. So it's very important that we create our own narrative, that we tell our own history, that we be the one to tell our own history. And, right. and with that, we are going to bring in some of your colleagues or fellow board members, and I'm not sure who they are. So all of you are going to have to, Dr. Tucker and, and Mrs. Holmes, you're going to have to, Mrs. Myers, you're going to have to guide me on who they are. But I'd like to, first of all, bring in our historian for 30 days of Juneteenth, who is Mrs. Belinda Williams. And she's going to actually tell us about the history of not necessarily Juneteenth, but people who were the slaves that came over and people in her family. And one of the reasons I was so adamant about her being on is because she's got some real rich history that really needs to talk about. She needs to put it in books. I sure wish there were an opportunity for Belinda and Dr. Myers to put heads together to put this all in books. And please don't forget tomorrow, we're going to have Donald Cox on, who's going to talk to us about Juneteenth 101, because this is not just a picnic. This is not simply about some barbecue ribs and some red soda water. This is not simply about that. It's telling our history. Belinda, I'd like for you to start by telling us about some of the facts that you and I have talked about, some of the chills that you have given me about what really needs to be in history books. She's going to go way back and tell us what she's got. Thank you, Belinda. You're on mute. You're on mute, 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 mute. You're right. I'm not going to go back to Africa where I'm a part of the Mindy tribe around Nigeria. So I'm going to come over to the slave ship. You know, my families have always passed along their, their stories from generation to generation to generations. They pass the good, the bad, and, and they pass the bad so that we don't have to keep repeating it. And so I brought along one of my historian aunts here, and she's just in here as support, but she's helped me to build some of the stories, um, to tell some of the stories that have been passed along in our families. Um, I'm going to go to the slave ship. There was a little girl, newborn baby called Melissa. And where she got her name, she was on the slave ship traveling to America, and her mother gave birth to her. Melissa, uh, when 
the mother passed away giving childbirth, but they took that baby and they named her Melissa Brown. Did the brown come from the plantation? Wherever it came from, that's where she started. And so she built this family. And and in this family comes a lot of our other uh, branches of our trees. And uh, it'll go into the shepherds. So we're we're gonna we're gonna come out of the slave ship. We're going to go to the slave plantation where this has been passed along. We're going to go to John and Mary Shepherd. They own slaves. They fought in the Confederate army. They own slaves. The slave owners had a son named Lewis who grew up with one of the slaves in the slave quarters. They became friends. They became lovers. And then they became parents of a number of children, which is develops our roots. These, because uh, John and Mary Shepherd were white, and this and this slave girl was black. Her her the census only cover her slave her time in slavery. And if I look at the census record, she was a number, not a name. You might be familiar with the, the name. She was called Louisa Loving. Okay, I know they did a movie about the Lovings, um, a loving family, a black and white family that could not get married, but I don't know how to connect them to us. So we're just going to talk about her. So they couldn't, she wasn't allowed to marry this white guy that she was in love with. So he built a home. He built a home and he lived in the home with all his black children. And, um, and he, he did get married to a lady in her fifties. She couldn't have any babies by him and it probably was okay. And the census records doesn't even show that she even lived in the house. And so she was a front. So, but anyway, this, this, uh, Louisa Loving and, um, and this, uh, gentleman named Lewis who fought as a, uh, in the Confederate army, they fell in love. They had a lot of children. We are totally unconnected with the children and some of their ancestors are on this network today. I'm going to go to slavery. I'm going to go to a grandmother of mine. She is my great, great grandmother, second great grandmother. Her name was Callie, Callie Williams, because she was on the, she was named after where the plantation was. We call her Grandma Callie. Grandma Callie was born into slavery. She had brands where they had branded her as a small child. My aunt can attest to that because she, I don't know whether Aunt Ruthie, just shake your head. Did you see the branding? Okay. So the stories are, she would always show them the brands where she uh, was branded as a small child. The story is she was in the kitchen cooking. She got word that she was free she walked out. She left pots, everything, cooking on the stove and walked her way to freedom. So the stories that I'm telling is named, I entitled Our Stories from Slavery to Freedom Land. Because what we did as a, as a family, 
was we tried to stay in the South after the um, after we were set free, but there were things that had happened. Callie, by the way, became a midwife. Callie delivered a woman and uh, a baby girl, and that baby girl was named after her. That baby girl is in her 90s today. So these are all family stories. They're totally connected. There are no myths and there are no one else's stories but mine. My dad talked about after, um, you know, his father was the son of and the grandson of these slaves. He always talked about this, this thorn, his father and his father's brother, they bought so many acres of land, I don't know, 100, 200 acres of land. They bought it from this white guy. Now, that was something to be proud of, Black people owning real estate. And so my uncle, he kept the deeds in his pocket. And he bragged about having owned this land. Well, the landowner, the white landowner heard about it. And he came up to him and he says, hey, I want to see that deed in your pocket. Well, what is my black uncle going to tell him? No, he's a white guy. And so he shows him the deed to the to the property that he had bought. He and my grandfather had bought. And this white guy tears the deed up. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem was my my grandparent, my grandfather nor his brother knew that you had to record those deeds. It was never recorded. So all that land went back to this white guy. We lost it. And so there, you know, there were other stories. Um, there's the um I always ask them, how did you survive the Great Depression? You know, what did you guys do? Our people have always been resourceful. You know, it's funny because the white folk always got the best of the meat and we got the worst of the meat. Guess what? The worst of the meat is so expensive now, we can't even afford it. You know, the chitlins, the uh, anybody ever tried to buy oxtails? Forget about it. And so, but my grandfather, he... He was a farmer. These these slaves, they were farmers. They knew about surviving farmland, growing their crops and stuff. And that's how they survived. My grandfather was a peddler. He peddled his vegetables, the crop that he had harvested. And they would go around and he made a good living taking care of his 12 children and wife with that. You know, my father always talked about the South and how unjust it was and how, you know, um, he he would pick cotton and the cotton, the, uh, you know, he would pick cotton. And one day he had picked so much cotton, he picked more than anybody else. When he went to get his pay, the, the guy says, well, I can't pay you this. And he says, why? Because the white man is working alongside of you. I can't pay you more than him. And so he couldn't get what he had, was worth. And then he wanted to buy a car. He said, the guy says, well, I can't sell you a car this, at the uh, car place. They said, why? Because you can't buy a car that a white man haven't had first. My dad, this happened over and over and over. And pretty soon you, you reach your last straw. 
you wanted to vote. Black people wanted to vote. The black man had to pay a poll tax. And then he said, even with the tax, I couldn't vote the way that I wanted to. I had to vote the way this guy, the white guy voted. And so he went on and on and on and on. So here comes this, what we call a great, what do we call it? It's a great black migration. What is that? The people that were that were talented and they, they couldn't seem to, to build their own and, and shop at their own and do what they wanted to do in the South, they started heading in different directions. Our family came to California, Central California, where, where the farmland was plentiful, the, the uh, LA, California, in the Bay Area, California, and they brought all of their talents. They went to Detroit, Chicago, and other place, Texas, looking for work because they were qualified to do those things. And so they were looking for a better way of life. And so as they, they did that, my grandfather, I remember he worked for American Aviation. Grandpa worked in maintenance. He did some painting, you know, they cleaned the airplanes and stuff, but grandpa was always inquisitive. This is the one that sold the fruits and vegetables. He wasn't only a farmer, he was a, a mastermind. And so he, he invented, I always saw this picture of him holding this little metal piece. And on the picture, it said $20, and it showed the department that he was working in. And I always wondered, what is that that he's carrying? One day, my uncle said, this is a piece that he invented while working for American Aviation that would land jumble jets on these uh, uh on the boats in the water. I don't know what, what do you call them? Tankers or whatever. Aircraft carrier. Yeah. And carrier. They, the, yeah, he they would land these okay, just moments jets. ago. House minority leader, minority leader, twenty dollars for that. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to see if I can find him on their inventors list. Of course, he wasn't on their inventors list, but they gave him twenty dollars. My grandfather was so outdone with that, he decided he wasn't going to invent nothing else for them, and so he didn't. And so he went into farming and, and, and labor contracting. I remember my dad got so sick of the South. He shipped us off on a train to California on vacation. We just never returned. He packed all our stuff, sold our home, came to California and did what he knew that he knew how to do. And that was farm labor. He bought two school buses. He rode those school buses around town he picked up laborers and he was the boss man he contracted with these people who own um who whose fields needed harvesting and he he harvests their fields and we would be the one that would help him to pay do the payroll and all of those things that he was teaching us because we weren't learning it in school and so we were learning business from our business since uh, families. I remember a friend. He his name was um, Ellis. We call him Ellis Spears. Ellis Spears. He he was a well. Okay, you can tell he was mixed with something, but he never talked about the white side of him. But Ellis was a, a young single 
a young boy who was raised by a single mother. In order to help his mother, he he found there was a brothel in the area. And you guys know what a brothel is. He would go into the brothel and he would do maintenance, little, little bits and pieces of work for painting and whatever he could do to help his, his family, to, his mom to pay bills. And he did that. And through that, he learned some skills. And, and, and as he grew older, he joined, he, he went into the army. He, he fought in the Korean War, war diligently. He came back home and he got no respect from his Alabama roots. Right. You know, those, all those white people. He got mad. He moved to California. He moved to California and he took all that he had learned in that brothel and all of these other places. He started building home. He started landlording. He started, you know, creating his own. He, he bought a liquor store. You know, he did all of these things that nobody in the South told him he could do. But he, in his spirit, he knew. And so when you're passing these things on down to your children and your grandchildren, then they know that they've got some roots that are dug deep that, that they can share so that they can motivate their family. My grandfather told his children, if you can't find work, make work for yourself. And they did. All of them started some kind of business. Maybe they were chefs in a kitchen. Maybe they were, um, you know, they, they started doing a bunch of things. Um, I'll, I did write down some of the things that, but they turned into doctors and cooks and entertainment. You know, we in the, in the cotton fields where we used to have to go and, and, and help my daddy in the cotton fields, you heard a lot of singing out there. You know, you're saying singing. I mean, a lot of singing in the 60s. That's that. That's how you got through the day oh, from right. sun up to sundown. Yes. Singing all day long. And yeah. I'm hoping Lenny can join us because, you know, Lenny probably wasn't in the cotton fields, but he was certainly a part of this family that loved to sing. Right. Absolutely. But we, had, we had teachers and beauty shops and business, on, just all these things. And then came Will and Frankie Davis. Now, they they got married and they had 18 children. And when they moved out to California, into Central California, they moved into the town of Allensworth. And and um they he could only bring he he worked until he was Will worked until he was able to bring his family to him to live in Allensworth. They went to school there. They, they, you know, everything that was there, they did there in Allensworth. Um, his, his, um, the, and so he has one child left. She's in her nineties and she tells the story of how they attended school and they were in one, one classroom. It was heated by a wood burning heater Ooh. and it served uh, grades one through eight. Wow. And so she was talking about how, you know, her mother kept her home and she was unhappy. And she finally talked her mother into sending her to school, you know, so that she could be around other kids. Now, one thing about Will, Will did not know how to read. So how he learned how to read, he he learned through his children's books. Mm -hmm. As they learned to read, 
he learned to read. And one day this man wrote a letter of concern to President Roosevelt. Wow. And Roosevelt uh, wrote him back. Whoa. Okay. He wrote him back. And, um, but anyway, as you know, as they lived in Allensworth for the years, they, they eventually moved to some of the outskirts of the country of the uh, county of the same county to Larry Pixley, because as you know, Allensworth, there was some problems there. You know, it was a thriving town created by uh, Colonel Allensworth. But Colonel Allen's work within six years of starting the town, he was killed in a motorcycle accident in Los Angeles. Oh, my. And so there were some a couple of guys that that kept uh, the Allen's work going, but they had a water problem. Mm-hmm. The water problem is they number one, they found arsenic in the water. And number two, they needed a water treatment plant and they they weren't established enough to um to afford one and the white people in the other county would not let the water flow through. And with that, Belinda, thank you so much for that. But that's one of the reasons I wanted you to bring the moments in Juneteenth, not only Juneteenth history, but moments in history, because all that you're talking about, some families have no clue as to where they come from and they have no clue as to where they're going. So as one of my college instructors always said, Jefflyn Johnson, he who does not know his history is destined to repeat it. And here we are now looking at history in some way being repeated because there are tons of people who refuse to believe that post-slavery syndrome is a real thing. And it is a real thing. It is a real experience. It real It is really an epidemic in our community. We no longer have communities. That's one of the reasons why Ken and I do intentional talk radio, excuse me, because we do this with intention. It is our intention. It is our desire to bring our history, to change our narrative, for people to look back and reach back and do what's necessary to not only, you can't go back in time, but you can certainly change the path that you're on. And we've got to change the path that we're on. It is very important that with people like Sylvia Holmes Myers, uh, Dr. James Tucker, uh, Reverend Ray Smith, Dr. Uh, John Thompson, all of the people who are members of NJOF, people who, who know what Juneteenth is all about. It's time for us to wake up. The interesting thing that I've got to say, and I hope no one is insulted, but a couple of years ago, I think it may have been 2016, 2016 or 2015, when Black Lives Matter came on the scene. Black Lives Matter came on the scene. They were huge. Everybody became a part of Black Lives Matter. What I needed to say at that time, and even today, Black lives have always mattered. We have always had a history. Black lives matter. Black lives have always mattered. Black lives, that's not new. It was black lives that built this country. It was black lives that built that house in Washington, D.C., that those folks were able to almost tear down. It was black lives that built that house, including the White House. But the recognition 
that we get for the things that we've done in this country as we were brought over here. The recognition is minimal, but we do a great deal of damage to ourselves by not focusing on our rich history. Just as Belinda said, even in her family, she's got those folks who created things that white folks take the credit for even as we speak. And we don't do anything about it. But Black Lives Matter came in and they want to be all about all Black Lives Matter. And now everybody is sympathetic with Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter. I don't think so. I don't think so. And we do discuss this on this broadcast frequently. How do we position ourselves to be a part of what we know is our real rich history? How do we do that? And we do that by taking a real position, by taking a stance, by saying we're no longer going to allow our narrative be created for us. We're no longer going to go along with what they say is necessary for us. We're no longer going to do that. So it's real important that we do what's necessary to bring the recognition to ourselves, for ourselves, about us. It's that important. It's that important. Dr. Tucker, can you uh, bring us into some of the people who are here with us from NJOF? I don't see Reverend Ray Smith. You have him. Uh, you have him on the screen. Yeah, Ray Smith is here. Ray, let me un- ask you to unmute. Okay. Reverend Ray Smith is a. He's a current interim uh, secretary and in, interim secretary and treasurer of NGF. He has probably been involved in NGF long before Dr. Miles started. Probably about thirty-eight years, and his family. Uh, you know, has been involved and actively uh, sponsored Juneteenth in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. But he has a history and, of course, the family legacy to tell you about Juneteenth. And these, this is an example of individuals who Dr. Miles worked with once he found out about Reverend Smith to assist him. And also, uh, he's also the current state director in Mississippi, where the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation is, uh, you know, is, is headquartered. Great. Reverend Smith. Yes, ma'am. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. And thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. And you have the largest Juneteenth celebration in the state of Ole Miss. In this, in the state of Mississippi, uh, at at one time, uh, it was the largest and it was the first Juneteenth celebration in the state of Mississippi. And a matter of fact, it was the first celebration ever held in the city of Hattiesburg. <clears throat> and my wow. mom, my mom started uh, the Juneteenth celebration in 1983. And my eldest brother, who was a retired major out of the Air Force, lived in Austin, Texas. Wow. And, and uh, he was a screen printer. And he brought Juneteenth to my mom. And uh, she put the first Juneteenth committee together and uh, started the celebration. And it was huge. Wow. Uh, and uh, it, it was just the, the power of, of Juneteenth was just, you know, so imminent uh, mm-hmm. and obvious. You know, it, it brought our community together. Really, it did. 
Well, I'm so glad because uh, we've got Sylvia Harris on also, who is Juneteenth Delaware. And what we need to do, and I'm going to ask this, I'm going to uh, put out a call, if you will. I'm going to put out a call. We've got quite a few people here who are members of a Juneteenth organization somewhere in this country. And what I want every one of you to do, and I won't call out names because I'm not sure who who's who, but I want every single one of you to bring a Juneteenth organization to this network. So all of you who are members of a Juneteenth organization, or if you know of a Juneteenth organization in your state, in your town, in your city, in your unincorporated town, in your community, in your hood, in your ghetto, in your wherever it is, I want you to bring them here. You've got 30 days to do that. This is the kickoff of Juneteenth. This is 30 days of Juneteenth. And every day there will be something on our website about Juneteenth. On specific days, we will have members of Juneteenth organizations on our show. Uh, From June 1st to the end of June, we will be featuring Black Music Month. That will also incorporate Juneteenth. It's that important. It is that important. It is that critical. I have a question I'd like to pose to uh, anyone that might want to answer, and we might want to get uh, questions, I mean, answers from several people. First of all, this is Kenny Hendricks. Thank you all for joining this uh, broadcast. Uh, We are really honored and privileged to have you in our presence, and we thank you for everything you've done with regard to Juneteenth uh, and everything you're going to be doing. So, again, thank you very much. But my question is, uh, I grew up in Southern California, and I remember hearing about Juneteenth. We didn't have any celebrations, but I remembered hearing, you know, some ramblings about it here and there. And I had some good friends that were from uh, Waco, Texas, and I think they're the ones that actually told me about it. But my, my question is, and, and I'll go to Sylvia uh, Myers first, and then we can ask James, Dr. James Tucker, is wh- why don't more black folks know about Juneteenth? And why has there not been a bigger push over yeah. all these years for people to know and start doing something about this? And again, thank you so much for doing this. But why, why has this taken so long to really get legs? And again, I'll go to Sylvia Myers first, and then we'll go to James Tucker. Thank you. And here it is, 2021, and we are just now doing this. So go ahead, Sylvia. Well, in in my opinion, and from what um, Dr. Myers and I ran up against, because we have, as we say, arrived, we have left all of that behind. Mm-hmm. So we forget about the negative. Well, and it's really not negative. That was part of our history. history. That yeah. is what made our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents, our big mama, big dad, whomever. <laughs> it gave them that fortitude to survive, yes. to hang yes. on, to make it to another day. And yes. now we are so, and maybe I don't, I don't like to say educated or we are so far removed from that. Yes. Don't want to have anything to do with, with that that at all. Yeah. Yeah. And some, in some ways there are those who are ashamed because I, as I mentioned to you and to Dr. Tucker and Ken and I have talked about this, even in my family, 
my grandparents didn't talk to us all about this. And they were mm-hmm. from Oklahoma. Yeah. They didn't talk to us. My grandfather's from Texas, Palestine, Palestine Texas. Yeah. So they didn't talk to us about this. So when it came to talking about Juneteenth and all of the other things, we did not have the history. We didn't mm-hmm. have the notes from our grandparents that we should have had. That's right. Yeah. But I'd like to hear uh, Dr. Tucker's uh, take on that. Well, you got to realize that, uh, first of all, there's many reasons why Juneteenth is not recognized the way it should be recognized. First of all, we have too many, and I'm not being negative, we have too many unconscious school board members who are serving the public and people who refuse to uh, advocate for a black study, black history. They refuse to insist that Juneteenth be a part of the curriculum. So as a result, part of it is our problem. The other issue is that we allow mainstream media to tell our story. If you look at my newspaper I published in the African-American Voice for the last 30 years, you will find that uh, we, I have told a story and also included Juneteenth every June in, in, in the African-American Voice newspaper. So as Sister Williams said, it is up to us to tell our story about Juneteenth. But the main reason why you haven't heard much about it is because, uh, you know, uh, we have too many individuals who are misrepresenting African-Americans uh, in the legislature, uh, as legislators who are African-Americans, who are, I call them sellouts. They don't advocate for us. The only time they want to get involved is when it's, there's something for them. For an example, New, Juneteenth is about to become a national holiday. And as a result of that, the only people going to benefit from that will be the, the descendants of slave owners. The hotel industry will benefit. The transportation industry will benefit. The individuals who are making T-shirts and everything else will benefit. And yet you have all these individuals come out less late Juneteenth and national holiday. There's nothing in the bill for African-Americans. So we are mm-hmm. too silent. And until we become more vocal, until we demand that these school boards and individuals who claim that they are uh, representing our children, uh, uh, you know, represent us and demand that our, uh, you know, that they teach about Juneteenth and about Black history, uh, you know, it's going to be a long time before our story is told. And also, I can't speak enough. We have too many Black pastors who claim claim to be leaders in our communities, and they're leaders, but yet they don't teach. They don't teach our children about Black history. I think the ME Church does a pretty good job you know, teaching about it. But you got to also look at the black pastors who are who are misrepresenting God's word and also not doing their job by teaching about uh, our, our history. You know, and, and I love the church. I'm, I'm a Christian. And at the same time, uh, that's where I got my beginning. But then when I was coming up, they stressed the fact, you know what I mean, that they, they taught those things. They encouraged us to learn about our history. So I don't want to finish your question out, but that's, uh, you know, I could go on and on and on, but uh, that's a quick overview of what I think. Not no, that, that, think, that, you, that, that completely answers it. And, and that's the answer I was looking for. And, and I think all of the uh, institutions in our community have a responsibility. The churches, the boys and girls clubs, if there's a YMCA, all of these organizations, I think, have a responsibility to start teaching. You know, I, I read an article a few years ago, a college professor was appalled at the level of, uh, he was a history professor at the college level, and he was appalled at the level of ignorance of real history all kids had coming into the college system. They knew nothing. They still believe, you know, George Washington cut down a cherry tree and told his father, I cannot tell a lie. All the myths, the mythology, they believe that. So we have to understand, they don't even teach real white history. 
Okay, they don't even teach real American history because it's 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 a bunch of mythology. It is a bunch of hero worship. The real truth is not taught. So when we allow them to teach our history, what are we really ex- expecting? You know, we if if we are expecting them to teach history the way we really was, the way we would teach it, we we need lessons. You know, we're the fools there. We have to teach our history. Okay. Also, we have to, uh, I can't stress enough, we have to identify the conscious African-Americans and the conscious white people who are friends of our community. And I can give an example. When I was in college at Russ College, uh, I was a, a student, but I could not get in that class unless I did something to make history. Uh, for an example, they uh, refused to allow me to vote as a college student, so we had to file a lawsuit. And once I got involved in that lawsuit, that protests and demonstrations, uh, and we eventually filed a lawsuit. I wasn't there to, uh, you know, to reap the benefits, but our goal was to take over the community as college students because we had two black colleges in the community, but it took us, it took us two or three years to uh, win that lawsuit. But it was a white professor who said, you will not get in my class unless you do something in my class to make history. And we need more instructors like that. Her name was Dr. Clarice Campbell. And of course, uh, we made history by, uh, winning a lawsuit, which allowed college students to vote anywhere they attended school in the United States of America, and that's including black and white students. And it's effective right. today. Right. Let's go to Sylvia Harris. Sylvia, you're on mute. I'm here. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, thank you for being here. So what do you think we need to really, uh, what do you think we really need to do to change our narrative? What do you think we need to do to bring light to Juneteenth, the reason we celebrate Juneteenth, and that history is in the forefront? What do you think we need to do? Because it's really incumbent upon us to do this. We cannot, should not, and better not ask somebody else to do it. This is our task and it is our responsibility to do this. What do you I agree. think we need to do? I do agree. Um, some of it is happening. Um, there are states that are fighting against the critical race theory, et cetera. And um, there are states that are um, working on <clears throat> bringing that to the forefront. I re- when you guys were speaking earlier, you were speaking about your parents that didn't uh, give parents and grandparents that didn't give you the history uh, of things that happened in Oklahoma, Mississippi, Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee originally. And they didn't share those things because they were painful. They were painful. They didn't know how to deal with that. So why would they put that pain on their children? So they chose not to share that. Um, And now those things are coming up. Uh, with the young lady that was here, the historian. It was wonderful listening to that. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take us working with our children. We're going to have to fight the schools. We're going to have to make sure they allow us to tell the narrative. Um, here in Delaware, our Delaware Legislative Black Caucus, two weeks ago, just uh, passed legislation that they would teach Black history in the school districts and They're allowing, I'm the president of the Delaware Juneteenth Association, and we've been celebrating Juneteenth here since 1994. And uh, our governor signed it um, into law 
that uh, we it would be a day of observance uh, uh-huh. here in the state of Delaware. So it's been two, since 2000. So we've been celebrating for quite a while. And we've learned our history. We've learned our narrative through the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, through any books, through any family, however we had to, to learn it. But we learned it. So now it's our turn, as you said, to create the narrative. Now we can tell our story. It's been told all this time, but it was yes. his story. Yes. So now it's our turn to tell the story the way the, it actually happened um, so that, you know, our young people will be able to move that forward to their families as they grow older and, and have families. So that's what it's going to take. And right. uh, we just had um, the University of Delaware's Africana Studies uh, sign on to be a part of our Juneteenth celebration this year. Ooh. And this is a first. The University of Delaware is not an HBCU. It's definitely history. Wow. And um, so this year they they came on board and they wanted to be a part of it because a lot of students don't realize, even at the University of Delaware, there is Africana studies. They yes. didn't, at many of the universities, there are yes. Africana studies and students don't know that they can actually major in Africana, Africana studies. studies. Yes. And that's the beginning. That's what starts the ball to roll. And once we do that and continue our celebrations as we are, because it is the oldest celebration of freedom. Hello in the, in the world. And so, you know, it's time America recognize that. Yes, it is. It's past time. And we have way overdue. (laughs) Yeah. And we have not made it our business to insist to ensure, but the interesting thing, is that look at Black Lives Matter. Look at Black Lives Matter. They were able to come in, get on the scene, pull the rug, gain a whole bunch of money, and not Mm -hmm. focus on Black folks, because it has nothing to do with Black folks. Mm. Nothing. It has something to do with others, just not us. Mm. But it's interesting that Black Lives Matter can come in and do all that they have done and all that they're doing in the name of Black Lives, their mm-hmm. focus is not Black Lives. And we're not saying anything. We're not saying anything. We're we're trying to bring Juneteenth to the forefront. We're trying to bring Juneteenth, recognition to Juneteenth for the right reasons. All right. the right reasons. Right. Well, I agree with Dr. Tucker when he says we're going to have to make some noise. 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 And And stop being so. um, Yeah. Right. We're going to have to stop being complacent Mm -hmm. and allowing others to create and to write our narrative. And we just go along with it. That's right. Um, I also wanted to, uh, Dr. Tucker, you had mentioned that there is a store. And I wanted to make sure you got that information out to the listeners' website or how they would access that before we get off the air here. So I want to give you a chance to do that. I'd like for Sister City of Miles to uh, give her, tell them how to contact her because she is uh, actually has the LLC. And, of course, the board agreed to allow her to have that store in honor of her father. And it's important to support Sister Sylvia Myers, uh, the Juneteenth store. So, Sister Sylvia, would you please uh, tell them how to con- give me your phone number and also tell them how to contact you? Please. You're, you're, you're on, on mute. mute. You're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I got a song about you're on mute. <laughs> I, 
I'm just so used to talking without yeah. being on me when I do my Zoom. But anyway, um, you can reach me at 662-299-7734. Um, and, and, and again, that number is 662-299-7734. Um, there is a website, but currently the website um, is not, I've got to do some work on it. Um, and that's njof.org. And you go to the Juneteenth shopping mall. You can go and look at the products. Those are not the correct prices. And don't try to order from that website. Um, again, you can call me and let me know what it is that you would like to order. And we can go from there. And I can see an in- invoice. And it's fairly easy. Usually once... Um, Uh, you place your order um, and it's paid for. Um, Orders are usually shipped out the same day or the very next day, unless something is on back order. And because we are close to, okay, go to the shopping mall where it says the shopping mall. Wow. Yeah. Let me find it here. Uh... Um, So um, unless we are close to, um, um, uh, backlog or back order, uh, usually everything will be shipped out, like I said, that day or the very next day. Great. Help you with that. Great. Um, yeah, I see the market, Juneteenth 101, history, government, events, education, contact committees, and you're meeting about home members, newsletter, podcast, and posters. Okay, it should be. And see, that's what I'm talking about. So it's some issues with the website right now. Okay. But we do have flags. Okay. <laughs> so just give me a call. And what I can do, I can just send you pictures of everything that, that we do have. And like I said, um, th- there are just some issues right now with the website. Yeah, these things happen. Okay. 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 So let me ask a question. Let me ask a question, and any of you with the the Juneteenth history, please chime in. It's it's time for us to create change, and we've talked about change happening for years. And as Ken just mentioned, what is it going to take? What are some of the activities that are going to take place between now and the end of June? Juneteenth is one day. What will take place and what can we do continuously to keep this going? What are some of the things that we can do? What are some of the things that the foundation is doing to continue this effort? Dr. James Tucker, Sylvia, Sylvia Harris and Sylvia Myers, Ray Smith. Sister Sylvia, you want me to respond to that? Yes, please do. Let, let me say this. I'm going to go back to what I said initially in terms of the role of NGOF. NGOF has always played a mo- major role in Juneteenth activities throughout the United States. And one of the things that Dr. Miles did, he worked to network and connect various Juneteenth around the co- uh, country to, to build a strong Juneteenth network. So that's what we're doing. If you ask each individual what they're doing, I mean, we could talk about it. I mean, I could tell you about what we're doing in St. Louis. And of course, if you ask the Reverend Ray Smith, what are you doing there? But it's important for individuals to support the Juneteenth in the various communities where they live. Not only that, but it's important to to hold people accountable. You know, for an example, uh, as we organize our Juneteenth in St. Louis, you ask uh, individuals who are taking our money from the community now. 
Uh-oh. Yeah, we lost him. Frozen. Yeah, okay. I, I was cut out. Uh, okay. I'd like to chime in. I'll go as well. Dr. Tucker, okay. are you there? Dr. Tucker, are you there? Okay, he's still Hi. frozen. I, I've got no picture of him at all. Okay, he's still frozen. He dropped off. Okay, let's go uh, to yeah. Teresa and then... Oh, there, there he is. First, he, I'm sorry. Let's go. Sylvia, I'm sorry. Teresa, hold on one second. Sylvia began to talk. Oh, Dr. Well, Tucker is back. Yeah. Dr. Tucker's back. I'll wait. I'll concede. Okay. <laughs> no, not, as I was saying, it is up to us to support various Juneteenth activities in the community. As uh, and, and you do that simply by putting on events. And a lot of time the money will come out of your pockets, like come out of my pocket for the last 25, 30 years when I've done it. Uh, but it's important also to demand and hold people in the community accountable. For an example, the institution that are taking our book of money they're saying that they believe in diversity. They believe in the black community. Those are the people who reinvent and also participate in our Juneteenth activities and also have be not just for one event, but they should invest money where they're actively involved in our community throughout the year and also show their commitment to our community because they are taking our money and they owe that to us. And we're not big in either. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Sylvia Harris? Uh, yes. There are various activities that are uh, happening in the communities, and most Juneteenth organizations, yes, are fundraising in order to keep their activities going or keep things going in the community for young people and their families to teach them about their history or to teach them about self-determination, to teach them about self-image, to teach them about how important it is to know where you came from. Most Juneteenth um, organizations are doing that all year long not just in June. Um, right. We also do a pageant. We do a pageant and there's a National Miss Juneteenth pageant that will be happening in October in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are fundraising now for that uh, pageant. And if anyone is interested in donating, please feel free to reach out to Sylvia Myers and, <laughs> and she will be able to give you the information that you need in order to do that. But okay. yes, everything is happening. All things Juneteenth. We're all things Juneteenth, and I can't say that loud enough or proud right. enough. Absolutely. All things Juneteenth. That's absolutely yep. the truth. And what I want to know, how do we get this to be recognized? I feel like I want to go out to Mount Wilson here and ring a bell and say, Juneteenth, Juneteenth, mm. wake up. It's Juneteenth. Slaves, wake up. Because yeah. Black folks are still asleep. They just miss the boat altogether. Black folks are still asleep. Not you, but black folks are still asleep. Let's go to Teresa. You said you wanted to chime in. I did. I think that um, educating not only, you know what I'm saying, the older people, some of them know about it, but a lot of the youth do not know anything about Juneteenth. That's you right. ask them what Juneteenth is, they wouldn't be able to tell you anything. And I think in order for the entire Black race to be able to celebrate and recognize that particular day and that particular event in our history, then we must educate them to even know what the day is. To the end. Sure. Absolutely. Um, another thing, you know what I'm saying, in a lot of our different communities, you guys are on the West Coast. Yes. I'm in the Midwest. In the Midwest, 
you know what I'm saying, because of our particular politicians that we have in office, they don't really try to recognize it or try to do anything in the community for it. Um, that's a problem. Right. Uh, another thing that needs to be addressed, how can we get, you know what I'm saying, more of our people to vote, especially the youth, and not just in the presidential race, but in the city council races, the mayors, yes. Yes. you know, so forth. In order for all of this to change, you know what I'm saying, that voting needs to be, you know what I'm saying, recognized. Black people need to get involved in that, yes. period. Because those are the particular offices that are making the rules for the cities that we're living in. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If mm-hmm. we can't get proper education, if we can't get proper funding for, you know, our, our, our minority schools and things like this, it's all due to who is in politics and who is distributing that money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in order for all this to change, you know what I'm saying? From top to bottom, Black people have to get involved in the voting. Right. All the way Absolutely. Absolutely. We right. cannot, we cannot right. continue and, to and, not... And, and, avail ourselves of the process and ask for change because no one else wants positive change for us and it's not up to them so we have to understand that if we want change to happen in this country and in our communities we have to be involved and i live in the suburbs here outside of dallas and there's been an influx of indian people come moving in here in the past few years they're on our city council they are running for mayor they're doing all these things, getting involved. And we have to look and see what other people are doing and, and, you know, learn from what other people are doing and see why it's working for them and understand that those things can work for us. We cannot continue to stand back and then complain. There was uh, uh, Jackie Robinson had a brother who was actually a better baseball player than Jackie, but he did not have the the uh, he could not stomach all the things that were going on. He couldn't take it. So Jackie had to get inside and be the one to put up with the, all the crap that was going on. And somebody said about Jackie Robinson, he was not going to change the game of basketball by standing outside the stadium and yelling and screaming. You have to get inside. So I completely agree that we must avail ourselves of the process, e- e- voting and getting involved in politics at all levels, at all levels of government. I completely agree. And unfortunately, yeah. there are too many folks in our communities who are not interested in getting involved who don't want to vote, who think it's not necessary to vote, who feel like nobody in their family has ever voted before. I'm not going to start now. Why change the makeup of our family? Why change the history of our family and vote? Nobody in my I've been told that. I've been told that. And that's where we go wrong because nobody in my family votes. And I had a student tell me that that she was not going to vote because nobody in her family ever voted. And she didn't need to vote because she said, don't nobody in my family vote. I ain't going to vote. Vote for what? Barack Obama. And it was (laughs) during the time that Barack Obama was running. So we have a great deal that needs to be fixed. We've got to change the way people in our communities, even in our families, the way they think. Because this kind of thinking is what keeps their thumb on us. If you really stop and look at what's going on right now, look at the Asian community. Look at the horrible atrocities that are happening to the Asians. They're taking a position right now. They're not walking around talking about 
Asian Lives Matter. They're taking a position and they want you to know they will fight back. They will fight back. First of all, they're smarter than you. They will fight back. They got more money than you. They don't need you. They will fight back. They're better than you. They might be smaller than you, but they're better than you. They will fight back. And one of the things that I have talked about, lots of folks on this network have talked about, is black folks are afraid to get the vaccine because they're afraid of the Tuskegee experiment. They are afraid of what this might mean. They might be harmed. This is a this is about genocide. Bill Gates said that he's he's uh, got a plan to eliminate people, and they're going to start with the black race. They're going to start erasing black folks. And no, 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 no. I can't say it enough. No, wrong again. They're not thinking about black folks. They're not thinking about black folks, and that's because we're not thinking about ourselves. The genocide that they're talking about is the genocide that we commit on ourselves, in our own communities, in our own homes, to each other. We're doing that. They aren't. They're not afraid of us. We're not, they're not threatened by us. All of that went out when the Panthers left. All of that's over. So they've watched us grow up and grow out. We lost our way. We are no longer a unified community, a unified village, a unified front. We have no connectivity. So since it's known that that's how we operate and that's how we conduct ourselves, they can take their time. Juneteenth will become a holiday in 3030 because that's what we do, unfortunately. Juneteenth will become a holiday in 3030. Now, I hope all of you are ready to see it in 3030 and you'll be ready to celebrate. But that's the truth of the matter because we don't take a position. We don't take a strong stand. And Black Lives Matter does not represent anybody that I know. So we can't let Black Lives Matter speak for us. If you look at if we not only want Juneteenth to become a holiday, and I don't think that that's the only thing that Dr. Myers was fighting for, I believe that Dr. Myers was fighting for the recognition and the acknowledgement of the history that Black folks have brought to this country. I believe that's what he was fighting for, not simply a day to barbecue and show off fireworks. They do Amen. that all day, every day. Amen. Okay. So it's about our history. It's about the richness that we brought to this country when they put us on slave ships. And understanding- I was telling a friend of mine about uh, the year of return, the trip to Ghana. Do any of you know about the trip to Ghana, the year of return in 2019? Does anybody know about that? Take that Sylvia, in. do you? Dr. Tucker, do you? Yes. Okay, yes, did you I'm go familiar. to Ghana? Okay, you're familiar, Sylvia Harris? Uh, okay. Uh, Sylvia Harris, do you want to explain that, Dr. Tucker? Do you want to tell the audience what that's about? One of you or both of you? Dr. Tucker, 
I'll concede to you. Go ahead. I've, I've talked a lot. You go ahead, sister. I'll, I'll bring it no. up. You. No, you go ahead. You go no, ahead. You go ahead. ahead. Tell oh, well, listen, I'll, I'll do it. Bigger. I'll do it. Okay. The year of return is black folks went on a pilgrimage back to Ghana to where it all began, to the cave where the slaves were kept. And the NAACP took 275 people from this country, which ain't a whole lot of folks, to Ghana to go back to where it all began, where the slaves were brought from Ghana on the ships to other countries. And they didn't just go to North America. They were taken to European countries. Absolutely. Okay. So they were taken to European countries and then they were shipped out and sold all over the world. And the year of return should have been broadcast all across the planet. But how many of you know about that? Dr. Tucker, it's on you. Sylvia Harris, it's on you. Going back to the door of no return, that's where it was. But most importantly, uh, from what happened was, uh, even today, many African-Americans who return, and there are some people I know, they're they are actually moving out of the United States, back to Ghana, and other parts of Africa to start their own businesses. And also- Yes, to, I've to heard, yes. From the uh, oppression and the mistreatment of African-Americans. I mean, mistreatment in this country. I know a lot of people doing that. Uh, so basically, that's where the world is. Uh, you know, they went back to the door, no return. And of course, it was celebrating, uh, celebrating our 400 years of, you know, being away from our homeland. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Take them from our homeland. The, and they're building a city just for us today. So it's important. It's important for us to, to learn about that, know about that, and be involved in the overall process because, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, Junior senior citizen, I'm 70 years old, and I hope to be uh, make a junior senior citizen. Junior, <laughs> and I hope to be able to make some trips back to Africa myself. But it's important for us to connect with our brothers and sisters. Yes, uh, and the ones and the ones that did make it, they came back changed individuals. Yes, yeah, forever changed. Yes, mm. I did hear about that. I yeah. did hear about that. I, I also wanted to yes. bring up, uh, based on the, the last conversation about voting and being involved in the process, if we look at what happened down in Georgia in this last election cycle, you know, black folks got out in droves. You know, they weren't didn't get to uh, elect uh, Stacey Abrams as governor, but Georgia turned blue for the first time, I believe, in like fifty years. Because Indeed. People yep. actually got out. It actually works when you put your when you put your pencil to paper. When you get down out and you pound the pavement, it actually works. And people don't believe. Unfortunately, people don't believe that it works. People in our community don't believe those things work. But that's our problem because we don't put it out there. We don't put that narrative out there that it works. We don't teach our kids that it works. We don't tell them that they can get this done. We can get it done. Again, we have elected Barack Obama. We've got Kamala Harris right now. Whether or not you agree with their uh, uh, politics, they are black and they are there. Okay, so we can do this. Back in, uh, the men may remember back in the 80s when they put Rush Limbaugh on Monday Night Football. And we all had a fit about that. And I myself, I wrote a letter to, I believe it was ABC back then, and everybody jumped on the phone, 
wrote letters. This is before the internet. And guess what? He lasted about two weeks because people spoke up. So when you speak up, people will listen. They will listen. And it's not easy and it's not overnight and it takes some work, but it will work. It will happen. We wanted to, uh, Colette, do you want to go to some callers now? Sure, sure. Let's go to some callers. Belinda, do you have anything that you'd like to contribute at this point? No, I'd like to hear from other people. Okay, thank you. Now, did Ray Smith, is he still on with us? Let me see. Yes, he is. Ray Smith's still on. Yes, he is. He's still here. Okay, Mr. Smith, Reverend Smith. Trying to unmute. Um, here you go. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Okay. Tell us about your congregation and the work that you're doing with your church, the direction that you're taking. Tell us what you're doing with your church as it relates to creating some kind of narrative, the focus, the acknowledgement, Juneteenth. Tell us what you're doing. Let me be very honest with you. I'm not pastoring right now, and I am in an active fight with all the churches in my community. Uh, it's sad to say uh, that, but the two major arteries by which we can describe our brand Juneteenth is, is through, had us through uh, public schools and through our churches. I'm a retired school teacher, and I have fought with Black uh superintendents uh since i gained knowledge of juneteenth to allow us to uh educate our kids or, or some form of workshops or after school or anything uh you know to uh bring them knowledge of juneteenth in their history and i have failed so far mm. uh, uh and same thing with the churches, uh, and, and so many, so many pastors are just, uh, you know, there, there's an empty space between their ears, you know, uh, you know, so we've got to do some work there. We, we, we have to, those are the two major arteries that we need to, we need to p- apply some pressure on. I agree. I agree. Churches oh, I, and I do schools. have a comment. You know, a, a lot of you uh, may be old enough to remember if you grew up in California or some of the uh, other surrounding states where the uh, Blacks fled to. We in California, we used to have what we call an Arkansas picnic. Now, the Arkansas picnic was a gathering of all of the people that, it, you know, in the area that were from Arkansas that had fled, Aunt Ruthie, you you remember that, that it, you know, fled the South. And it was a day of celebration. It was, it was a time to remember, a time to, to meet. And, and I will, I'm curious to know if Juneteenth kind of uh, came out of a flavor of that because the Blacks were really, really excited. And I know Colette had mentioned how the the Asians uh, do their thing. They they just go, when when they have a cause, they just do it. They're not asking anybody to, they just go out with their signs and they do what they need to do. Well, they don't need to do signs they, because they, they well, take control of everything. I know they take control, but what I'm saying is, I, you know, I would love to see Juneteenth in the flavor of Arkansas picnics. 
for your chest. You're celebrating a cause that the, the Arkansas picnic, I would, I would imagine was because, you know, they were just happy to be out of the South and, and reuniting. And that's the way I'd love to see black people just celebrating you know, how they've overcome so many obstacles and they're still here. And, you know, I know it starts with us and I know that there's some, you know, voting and stuff like that that needs to be changed. But if we just start with an excited, you know, group, you know, keep the the group like we have here, excited to spread the word, bring in people, you know, to where they can understand that there's a purpose in in where we're going with Juneteenth. We can we can cause that change to happen, just like we've done with everything else. Martin Luther King Day, you know, the the uh, Black History Day. We we can do this. We actually can do this. And and the group that um, that we have on today, I just think that it's a it's a nice uh, it's a nice start and and to con- a, a continuance of a of what was started long time ago. Sister William, I'd like to say something. Sure. Uh, as Sister Harris, you talked about all things Juneteenth. For the record and for the history book, history book. Uh, the brother by the name of uh, Broadnex, Woody Broadnex, from Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. he coined the term all things Juneteenth. And someone is trying to steal that term. So just for the records, Woody Broadnex. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tuck, J- Dr. Tucker, I-, I muted you by accident. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. Go His ahead. name is Woody Broadnex. He's uh-huh. from Portland, Oregon. I've been knowing him for many, many years. He coined the terms all things Juneteenth, and there's someone trying to steal that from him. But what he's doing in, in Portland, he's actually having Juneteenth in the neighborhood where he's bringing people together in his neighborhood with bands and information about, you know, uh, education, educating the people in his neighborhood. So, and he's a Mr. Juneteenth, and he coined the term all things Juneteenth. And just for the record, that should be known tonight. Yes. Great. All things Juneteenth. Well, in, in uh, our, in our, yes. And also, uh, let me say this. I don't know if it's time to say it, but uh, one of the things we're doing through our Juneteenth in St. Louis is that we are, we got a couple goals. Number one is to educate people about Juneteenth and about African-Americans and Caribbean. Number two is to raise funds and staff up so that we can deal with the issues that we're talking about uh, on this show. Because if we don't fund each other and support each other through the program that we're doing in the community, we will not be in the position to do anything. So we've got to establish strong organizations through Juneteenth to make things happen for our people, not for individuals, but for our people. Okay. And then uh, we are, and if you know, I'll send you the press release and I'll also send you a Please. registration form. So all those who are, all those conscious and brothers and sisters who want to contribute, you can certainly do that. We're going to, we're going to kick ours off on the 1st of June in front of the steps of the old courthouse where Dred Scott case was held in 1857, where, you know, they declared that African-Americans are not slaves. We're going to honor the first black mayor of St. Louis, Tashara Jones, who was the first African-American mayor in St. Louis. And, and, and she's a female. In addition to that, we're going to announce our Juneteenth Caribbean Heritage Walkathon. That will be held in one of the most beautiful parks in the city of St. Louis called Forest Park at Cricket Field. 
um, and it's called Juneteenth Caribbean Heritage Walkathon, A Long Journey to Equal Citizenship. We're going to focus on the 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, and also Emancipation Proclamation. Wow. In the center of the in the center of the field, we will have we will have it, it'll be education. Before they start their walk, they will have to walk through a walk through history. And we have signs where men, women, and children can walk through and learn about our history. And it's uh, right. unique and different, but it's the first time we've done something like that. But yet, uh, you know, we're excited about doing it. Great, wonderful. Let's go to some questions. I'm going to start here and and go forward. Let's start with Frank Christian. Do you have a question or comment, or would you like to say anything about Juneteenth? I know that you are a singer from way back, and uh, you may have your own congregation. Is there anything that you would like to share about Juneteenth or with the family? Is there anything that you're doing? You're muted. You're on mute. There you go. Yolanda Williams, is that you? <laughs> I, is that you? I was hoping you wouldn't go there. <laughs> oh, dear. listen, anybody who knows me, uh, <laughs> no, I'm going to go there. Is it, so that is you. Okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, I just uh, uh, want to thank my cousin, Gloria, for calling me and, and informing me as to this uh, meeting. I I do have um, a plethora of ideas and uh, opportunities, uh, so I'm encouraged to hear um, this this discussion or uh, meeting uh, on uh, the uh, significance of uh, Juneteenth. Um, so the only thing that uh, I can say. Um, Concerning this is that we have a rich history and a history that um, has not been really made uh, true in the light of uh, the world. Um, And so there's um, there's much we have in our heritage to celebrate and to be proud of. And as in and as in many ways as we can uh, come uh, together and um, encourage um, to organize and to activate uh, the interest um, and pull that interest and those ideas that energy into a unified effort to uh, move beyond the starting gate uh, into a race that that our destiny, uh, to, to, to our destiny is unlimited. Uh, and so I hear, I hear uh, people's ideas, some of the ideas and some of the thoughts concerning that. And I'm getting a sense that there are people on this, on this conference call uh, from uh, different parts of the country. And, um, and, and so I, I, understand that correct me if i'm i'm wrong uh, this is uh, something you're starting up or has started up or something that we're trying to blend into something that can uh, uh build on expand uh, its capacity to others to teach and to train and to and to celebrate uh, our culture 
and history. Uh, so I would uh, continue uh, listening and hearing and um, I would be interested to know what some of those ideas uh, are and how uh, they can blend together and uh, with a message, uh, a, a national and or international message uh, that uh, speaks to everyone who looks like us. Uh, everybody else seems to be celebrating something and, uh, and, and they have obviously uh, taken from our rich heritage. And so we need to not only celebrate uh, that, but the accomplishments um, and uh, the, uh, the triumphs that we as a people have, have uh, sojourned to, 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 the, to this place and uh, in this appointed time. And uh, nothing could be more important and uh, more informative to our people uh, uh, than to participate in, in this way. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. And so when we do that, and we have a specific goal in mind to reach. Uh, we go forth and choose to do that with unrelenting um, uh, 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 efforts to, 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 to make this happen. We, we, we can do that. And I would uh, be glad to be a part of uh, something, something like that. Well, thank you very much. And I'm sure those who are from uh, other areas, other parts of the country are glad to hear that. And they will keep that in mind. And Sylvia Myers did put her information in the chat. And those of you that would like to contact Mrs. Dr. Ronald Myers, please do so. I'd like to go- One question, to, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. May, may I ask this question? Okay, so um, is the objective here, or one of the objectives here uh, is to organize and to, uh, uh, to, 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 to organize one uh, in, in a uh, effort to expand uh, this concept or uh, uh, yes and no quasi okay. yes and no so if there is a a creation to expand if there's a need there is a need but if that is spawned out of this broadcast then absolutely that that was the unintended objective absolutely we have mrs dr sylvia myers whose husband is the father and founder of the National Juneteenth Observance Organization. And Dr. Ronald Myers was the founder of that organization and it still consists today. I believe it's about 30 years old. Mr. John Thompson is the chairman of NJOF today. And Reverend Ray Smith is the interim secretary and treasurer Did you for mean NJOF. James Tucker? We've got a wonderful platform here with people who go way back, 30, 40, 50 years back. Juneteenth is not something that just happened yesterday. It's been here since the beginning of Black folks. And what we need to do is make sure that Juneteenth is here to stay. And when I said that Juneteenth will be recognized in 3030 as a national holiday, 
I was really being facetious and I hope that all of you took it that way. But if we don't light the fire, then that's what we'll be looking at. It'll be recognized in 3030 as a national holiday. Colette, you said John Thompson. Did you mean James Tucker? No, Mr. Oh, John, John Thompson, Thompson is the chairman okay, okay. of NJOF. And uh, Dr. James Tucker holds a position on the board, and I'm not sure what that is at the moment. I'm, I'm a director of the okay, legal and original, and I'll make it known, the legal and original NJOF. There's only one legal and original NJOF. Okay. Okay. That. Okay, so Frank, NGO? this is, is to NGO, create National Juneteenth Observance Foundation. Okay, okay. Foundation. So okay. this, if there is further connectivity, collectivity, collaboration that is spawned as a result of this broadcast, absolutely. That's the intention. That's the intention. That's the unintended intention. Absolutely. Because right now, here it is 2021. And we're still begging for somebody to recognize us. We're still begging for justice. We're still begging for people to say, okay, you can play with us. Come on now. Okay. It may not be, we may not fight fair, but all right, you can get in this with us. We're still begging. And that's wrong. It's 2021. The Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1865. It took two years for the slaves to know that they were free. Here it is, 2021, and they still don't know that they're free. Even right here on Crenshaw Boulevard, they don't know they're free. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, this is the plantation mm -hmm. right here, and there are folks mm -hmm. that dispute that. There are lots of Black folks that think this is wonderful because mm -hmm. it's okay for them to be under the thumb. It's okay. Because as Kenny Hendricks always says, the white man's ice is colder. Well, I've never been one uh, to, to be under the thumb. Um, I always, uh, I've always uh, aspired to, to be out in front of a situation and to inspire others in doing so. And I, I think one of the issues that we have um, as a people is that we don't trust each other. And when we come together and we can uh, build uh, capacity and, and learning uh, to trust each other with the understanding that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Absolutely. Given the, 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 the idea that our creative with our um, intellectual uh, prowess, all of these things count for something. And when we come together, as the iron sharpening iron, mm -hmm. not really concerned about who's going to get where first and, and how, but lifting up and building up and encouraging others to be a part. I believe that people will get involved and people will commit and make commitments. I have spent my life trying to help and uh, worked in communities in Fresno, in Los Angeles, in South Central. I have and 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 the one constant that um, uh, that I that I see is that we have yet to get to a place where we trust each other. Mm -hmm. We trust each other, and, and I don't mean uh, uh, should I say what I what I mean is that we 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 trust each other's wit, our strength, and our courage. 
We draw from each other. We build from each other. There's no reason why we shouldn't have banks and hospitals that yes. we build, that, yes. that communities that yes. we can build going on in your cities and my cities and all cities all across the country is, is something called um, uh, uh, opportunity zones. We know little about that and we're not involved in that, but they're building, tearing down, building up again all around us. And, and we don't something. get any part of that. And, we're, and we're not at the table. No, we're, we're not, not at the, the table. table. No. And so one of the things I, I think we, we should do is that we should create the table, have the table and invite us to the table and, 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 and exchange ideas and, 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 and be proactive in yeah. that. We should um, create the table and we should invite them to our table instead of the other way around. Too many years. And we've got, we've we've got about, we've got asking about, for a seat at the table. Colette, we've got about nine minutes left. Are we, okay. we going to go to some other callers? Okay. Too many years we've been asking for a seat at the table. And it's time for that to change. Absolutely. It's absolutely time for that to change. So let's go, uh, Leonard Collins. Hello, hello. Um, You know, I really like this show and I'm so excited. You know, usually when I, uh, you know, I'm on the iPhone. So when I take my finger and I want to see how many people are in here, usually I just go over once. But I've had to go two, three times. There's a lot of people here. So I just want to say welcome to everybody that's here. And uh, we we definitely love to have you as a regular. Um, and, and one of the things that I heard someone say, and I've kind of always put a twist on it, you know, we don't trust each other, right? So I kept saying to myself, thinking about it and thinking about it, and I came up with a new approach. It's not that we don't necessarily trust each other. We don't trust ourselves. No, we don't. See, well, if you had yeah, the confidence, the you would do it. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't let anything come in your way. Uh, mm-hmm. So we don't really trust ourselves. Because I got to tell you, uh, all the organizations that I've been affiliated with, you know, we're we're part of the best critics uh, mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think anybody's <laughs> a better critic than black folks. Right. Um, <laughs> so if we could right. turn that energy into action. Um, you you would see something marvelous. But I will say this. The fact that we're having this type of conversation, and I'm with some other groups, and they're talking about Juneteenth. So you can feel the energy. I mean, I can feel the energy myself. There are more and more people talking about it. And I think this organization, Intentional Talk, has a great opportunity to create the platform where we start discussing Juneteenth when it comes June, we start talking about it in July for 2022. Those are the type of things that we have to get to. But anyway, I don't want to take up the, the uh, show because there were some other people I wanted to hear speak. Yes. Let's go to Syl- uh, well, Teresa. Yeah. Uh, could I say something, please? My name is Ruthie Clark. Okay, to Ruthie. I want uh, to Ruthie. tell you all, I am real proud of you. And uh, I love everything I've heard. I'm very proud of you. All you have to do is go for it. Mm-hmm. You already know what's needed. You already know what to do. So go for it, forward. You know, I'm behind you. All right? Thank you so Thank you, much. And you have my prayers and my blessings. This is what I want to yeah. see. Black people work together instead of talking. Yeah. So I am very proud of you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Aunt Ruthie. Teresa? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Teresa, go ahead. Yeah. I think a good point was made when it was said that uh, people don't really get involved unless it directly involves them, unless it directly affects them. And that's a big problem in the black community because a lot of things, you know, a lot of these youths feel like the decisions and the laws that are being made do not affect them. And I think if we specifically point out exactly how it affects them, maybe they'll, you know what I'm saying, take a little bit more attention to what's going on and voting and get the right people because I truly believe that systematic racism cannot be destroyed until, you know what I'm saying, black people are fully involved in making the foundation. Because the foundation that we, this country was built on slavery and racism. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you can't, you know what I'm saying, built right. on top of that uh, equal system. Right. That Absolutely. system has to be broken all the way down in order for it to be equalized. Right. Absolutely. And as far as having a seat at the table, you're right. You know what I'm saying? We spent 500 years, you know what I'm saying? And it's still, we don't have a seat at the table. No, we don't. No, we not don't. true. That's true. And the only way we're going to have that seat at the table, like I said, is if black people get involved and start voting all the way up and down the ballot. Yes. From the mayors to the city councilmen, you know what I'm saying? To, to the whole, to the whole system. That's and until that's done, we can't educate our children in school. That's another thing, you know what I'm saying? The education, I didn't learn about black history until I went to college and minored in it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I didn't find out all of these wonderful things about black people until then. They're teaching our children, you know what I'm saying, about slavery and telling them this is where you come from. Mm, yeah. Right. They and, cannot have any pride, you know what I'm saying, in that. And we've got time they for what? Where they come from. I hate to cut you off, exactly. Teresa, but we're running out of time. We got time for Thank one you. more call. And Belinda, um, no, I pass. Go. Oh, okay. Okay, Kenny, what were you saying? No, somebody else, because I wanted to make sure we got one more caller in. Okay, there was one more person, but Belinda did concede her time. Yeah. Okay, uh, Sylvia Holmes Myers. Thank you so much. You are the interim president of the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, and it has been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so very, very, very much. We greatly appreciate it. And with great esteem, great esteem. Go ahead. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I appreciate you guys for doing this show. Um, I, I just want to thank Dr. Tucker and Sylvia Harris and Reverend Ray Smith for coming on. Um, yes. Our chairman of the board, John Thompson, wasn't able to make it. He's in the process of moving right now. Ooh. So, uh, But he's been listening. He's okay. been listening. He, he did tune in. He's been listening. And again, I just say thank you. And um, I do look forward to bringing someone else telling them about your program. Great. Um, to be a guest Great. on the show. Yes. Wonderful. Dr. Tucker. Yes. Go right ahead. Oh, you're on mute again. You're on mute. I listened to the brother talk about trust, and that's an important word to use, but I think the solution to our problem is that we must identify the 100% conscious 
black man. In fact, I got a t-shirt like that that I'm going to promote during the Juneteenth event because black men are not stepping it up the way they should. Our black women are leading in just about every field. So yes. it's important for us to identify the 100 countries black men and also, I, I don't want to be negative, but also let people know who the sellouts are and deal with them. But the most important thing is to focus on those brothers and sisters who are conscious. And I say yes. they are conscious black men. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Tucker. And Ray Smith, Reverend Ray Smith. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for uh, having us to uh, share our hearts and minds with you all on your program. Uh, I just like to say that another area that we really need to work on is our entertainers and our professional uh, athletes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of our influential uh, um, Black African-American people across this nation that really don't recognize the significance of Juneteenth and how they can contribute to it. We need to somehow uh, reach them uh, because all of our actors and entertainers, some of them, uh, you know, uh, are crossing the line, but most of them uh, have no idea or they they totally ignoring Juneteenth. And, And we need them to get on board with us. Absolutely, I agree. And Sylvia Harris, last last minute, right there. I get the last word, huh? Last word. <laughs> yes. I'm not going to add add anything else. I think everybody's covered it. And I also would like to thank you for doing this show, first of all, and for having us be a part of it. So thank you. Thank you. For your time. Oh, thank you so much. And folks, we're out of time. And we'd like to thank each and every one of you for being with us this evening. We've had a good time being taught. We've had a good time learning. And this is a lot of history. Join us tomorrow for Donald Cox with Juneteenth 101. He's going to be with us tomorrow. So I hope that tomorrow all of you will come back to hear that. We will have Belinda Williams on with us throughout the entire 30 Days of Juneteenth, who will be bringing us more information about Juneteenth. It will come from So join us right here on the Saint, uh, 7 o'clock, I mean 5 o'clock uh, Pacific, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Yes. Tomorrow. So right here on Intentional Talk Radio Network. And remember, you can listen to us. You can get us on all of your podcast platforms and be with us each and every day except Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We've got a show for you. And remember, today is the kickoff of 30 days of Juneteenth. This is very important. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, as Kenny Hendricks says, stick and stay, don't go away. Come on back. We will be here tomorrow. Thank you for joining us, folks. Have a good evening going home. Be safe. Does anybody need to walk to their cars? Everybody going to be okay? (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Good night. Good night, night, everybody. Take care. (laughs) Good night. Good night.